0: So Adrian, welcome to the Strong Startup podcast. Fantastic to have you here. I think we've been uh, planning this for a while and uh, we've known each other now, I think for about a year or so. So maybe you can let everyone else know who you are in, in a quick tweet uh, to get to know Adrian.
1: Yeah, thanks for having me on. Um, oh, a quick tweet. Well, uh, ex-dentist gone software startuper, chaotic good.
0: Nice, that was a very concise tweet. I love it. And
1: 40 characters.
0: Yeah, exactly right. Yeah, you're on Twitter uh, and you're active, I think, or at least uh, um, you're active in terms of viewing. But um, yeah, I'm not so familiar. So I didn't realize it was actually going to be that short. (laughs) Everyone always catches me like that. But anyway, um, maybe you want to give a little introduction, like a little one minute pitch about what is Mango Medical. So uh, just, yeah, give a little background into that would be cool. Thanks.
1: So we're building a Google Maps for bone surgeons. So me and my co-founder, we've run into the problem that there is really cool new technology that can be used to treat patients individually and that cuts uh, OR times by about 30%, but the digital planning pipeline for the surgeons way too complicated uh, today. So we're making that really snappy and intuitive so that every case can be done um on the individual patient level
0: wow it's pretty cool obviously i'm sounding surprised but i already know about your startup. your cool <laughs> startup idea but it does sound cool and it's great that you're obviously a dentist so having that background probably is super important are you focusing on a particular body part right now or a particular place uh, for for the bone implants
1: we're building mvps for different areas of the body because we've uh, tried the technology in studies before on on the face as you can see here in the back but we want to make sure that we really understand the landscape of opportunity that we're in and focus on the right things you know so if we have to pivot later on that we know exactly what to go to and don't have to go completely back to the drawing board
0: right that makes sense it's the same with finding the perfect market in the first place right you want to keep your options open and go with the one that maybe has the biggest need or is easy maybe the easiest one to access for example right Exactly. Yeah. Cool. Great. So let's jump into a few questions then. I mean, I have a lot, um, but I would love to start off with, like, I know you're, you're early stage. You're still in the process now. You've gone through an incubator. You're now moving on to the next uh, phase of your, your startup journey with your co-founder and the rest of your team. But maybe we can talk a little bit about the startup programs, just your personal experience. Um, You know, uh, how did you find the programs that you're, you, you, you're, you applied for? And uh, what was like some of the successes and failures with different programs that you applied for and what would you recommend uh earlier stage startups to do when they're beginning to you know coming from a pre-seed program or a pre-incubation program and starting to look for their first incubator or the big dogs like TechStars and and white combinator maybe just your thoughts on that please
1: yeah um I think that the pre-incubation program was invaluable the explore program by Unternehmertum. that's also where we, where we met actually and yeah um I think that you know it it it's uh, they take you and show you in a structured process how to go about your ideas before that we were just building stuff and trying it out and it was all awesome but um You know you when you are a dentist or a surgeon you don't have the background to understand okay how do you set up your product how do you research your market how do you validate your ideas and how do you eventually get funding to actually work on this full time and so this has given us that uh, also focused experience of you know taking apart just the opportunities in the market taking you know understanding more about how the financials work of everything and then that's led us up to the next steps so it's really you know from there we went on to the expreneurs program from unternehmatum and that's where you meet up with a batch of peers that are also all working full-time it's a great selection from european startups or people from Barcelona from Zurich, uh, over in Stuttgart and Munich, and you're making friends with other startupers who are going through the same journey. Sometimes they're a little ahead of you, sometimes they're, you know, they still have to take some steps, and um, even though you're not necessarily from the same space, so... um, there was only one other medtech company who are still kind of iffy whether they want to be medtech, and um, but but just having this experience of the exchange um, is extremely motivating, and they can help you overcome obstacles. It gives you access to a vast network of investors and experts to talk to, and all of that is this um, mix of potential serendipity of things happening, you know, and this is where it kind of all snowballs. So I would like to say that, you know, the idea to to found a startup and pursue this may have been born two to three years ago, but um, you can really put the finger on the Explore program, having kicked off all of the connections that would later unfold to gain as much steam as we have. And yeah, we are also now looking at the international league of tech stars, Y Combinator, and so on, because um, we are approaching the seed stage where we will want to um, gather top investors, hopefully to, yeah, push our startup to the next level. And what's the experience there? You just have to keep applying. They do have Europe on the map now, um, but you know it's always you anytime there's anything that they're iffy about, you will not get in. And just the experience of going through the application process is already really helpful because you can see exactly that they, they, they teach you how to, um, be very precise in your answers and that you know what you're actually answering. I remember being really confused about all the different terminology of what is the market? What's the market opportunity? What's Mm. the, you know the Tam Sam Som, all that stuff. You have to really have all that jargon down yeah. before you can go on that larger stage, and before you should be approaching any investors. Because if the investor's job is to be, you know, I hope I can say this, the professional bullshit detector, <laughs> and as soon as they know that they see that you haven't done your homework, you are basically out of the game.
0: Right? Yeah. I think that's why when we worked together, we met during that explore program. That's why we drill you so hard on like what is the market size, what's the whatever, and you know we we often get startups that just like yourself that have a really great idea and that have super passion and also the skills to develop that tech and the the um the foresight to see the vision and everything else. But yeah, it, it it's hard in the beginning when you haven't got the background of knowing what the market is and whatever and. I think that's super, super important because, as you said, either you just don't get in because you haven't got your you haven't got your your pitch deck together and you haven't got the numbers and the answers to all those questions nailed down, um, because I think it's the standard is much higher, right? The the cutoff point for for getting into an American or U.S. or, or a global uh, accelerator is is probably like a much 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 more difficult than than some of the European programs, right? Perhaps
1: yeah but then again it's always like you have to see where where are you on the curve maybe mm. it's just not maybe you're not the right type of startup you know yeah a lot of the, like y combinator for example they are really selective in they love to take a SaaS product that's yeah. already generating revenue and where they see this beginning curve and they just jump in ride the wave for five years and then have a nice little you know have a nice exit yeah and they're so You don't, you have to be really exceptional to get into these kind of programs like Kitecraft, where you say, oh, well, we're just going to put a power plant into the sky, you know, (laughs) where it's like this moonshot kind of idea where they think, okay, well, this will make our program cool again. Yeah, And we can say, oh, we financed, um, nuclear fusion. We have, you know, we have a supersonic jet in the portfolio and we do like, um, yeah. Power plants in the sky. That's kind of the the to to keep up this mystery about investing. Like all the investors also love to show how visionary <laughs> they are in their investments. So
0: yeah, they're um, all looking for the next space SpaceX, the next uh, Elon Musk that can come through that just like lets them shine, right?
1: Exactly.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's really cool. Very, very interesting. Um, So what what I would love to... One other question before we move on, actually. So I always... I have a perspective now that I've developed uh, just over the past year or so, which, which is that, you know, when it comes to investors or it comes to programs, it's about volume. So it's about not fearing rejection. If you apply for a Y Combinator or tech stars, or you approach a big VC, but rather seeing it as an opportunity to get your stuff together. And then just, just like lean startup, like you said before you were, you are building and then testing and building stuff in the beginning, you can build and test your pitch deck and to see if your startup is really meeting the criteria. So is that something that you would share uh, the perspective of going for volume um, while at the same time uh, still you know, doing your own due diligence to make sure that you fit for Y Combinator? Because if you're not SaaS and you're not a moonshot and you don't have revenue, then probably you're not the right fit for YC to be able to help you, right?
1: Well, I think that... The YC is a special one because it's this extremely large, super famous, um, institution. So, um, and the application is fairly easy to do. It only takes a couple hours. Um, I think it's worth applying. I think way too little startups in Germany apply Hmm. uh, for the program. And I think that generally speaking, this, uh, spirit that they have is, is really valuable for, for startups of build something people want and do things that don't scale, so do do lots of testing, and I think um, looking at the the German startup ecosystem, uh, we need more of that spirit that you you have to be also at least internally admit, okay, we don't know everything yet, we have a bunch of assumptions, what's an assumption, what have we validated, Hmm. Uh, where do we have to go and make sure that we have it nailed before we uh, take the next step.
0: Hmm. you just reminded me then of another question that i wanted to touch on something you said earlier as well about how some investors and different people from outside of europe are now starting to pay attention to i presume what you mean is the medtech scene here in europe so there's a lot of criticism for the level of investment the the standard of programs and the standard of startups as a consequence of those programs right now and so what you've said is that it's a confidence thing from some startups to be able to make that leap and say, you know what, I'm going to apply for those programs, apply for those big investors and just see. But maybe you could talk a little bit about what is your perspective on like the kind of the state of medtech right now in Europe, not the general state, but you said like they're starting to pay attention. Like why do you see, or why do you feel that those other investors are now starting to take notice uh, of the ecosystem here, particularly in Germany, because we have Medical Valley and stuff close by to Munich and whatnot. But
1: Um, I think that Germany and uh, is is famous for its engineers and uh, we have uh, excellent academic institutions in the world uh, compared to compared to the the world stage. But what we're lacking is the skill of taking the innovation out of the university and commercializing it for the markets, right? And the investors are always looking for opportunities of having, you know, getting in as early as they can into a startup to then yeah. push it to be as big as it can be. And in in, this, in the US and in Hong Kong, you have this really streamlined process and they are always looking at deal flow. They're always seeking out the people. And over here, I would say, um, well, medtech is a little special because yeah. it's so heavily regulated. So it's kind of like fintech. In other, in, you know, if you're, just a soft, if you're just a SaaS startup, you can always just show, okay, well, I have 15,000 users and we are growing at X user rate. And in yeah. the medical space, you really have to find a, a good substitute for what constitutes your traction.
0: That's yeah, because here. your time to market is what? could be 5 10 years you have to do a clinical study which could cost 20 million like whatever exactly. right
1: so everyone knows it's a moonshot and i think that one of the characteristics of the european ecosystem is that everyone is a little more risk averse like mm. we're a little more conservative and there's so much more capital in in the us where they don't really know what to do with it anymore especially with the low interest rates and the money being printed it's all accelerating really fast and they see opportunity here and they know that they can connect the startups with the with their n- network and ecosystem of yeah. people that can help scale up uh, startups and so i think there's some really there are some really promising startups here in in the ecosystem like deep sea kumovis vertonomy um, um paragraph over in Aachen mm-hmm. and I, I love their technology it's just we will we'll have to see can we as Europe um keep up with the fast development space in, in you know development pace in in uh, internationally
0: yeah no that's a really good point I mean I think I, I share your perspective on that and my, my follow-up question would be like do you feel it's more of a mindset shift or is it more about programs like, I don't know, the Fraunhofer Tech Transfer Fund, which is like Fraunhofer, if anyone doesn't know, like I think they have like 8,000 employees. They have a $2.3 billion or billion euro annual research budget and they have their own in-house VC, which is like kind of a nice idea, right, to help that transition from an applied science institute that does research To get to the market do you see those kind of programs or other programs within europe uh, being like the most important thing or is it more about a mindset shift uh, in researchers and entrepreneurs to say look i'm going to take that risk i'm going to do it
1: yeah i think i think it's a it's a culture you know it's the the culture of it's um of of openly talking about your ideas to get feedback to execute on your ideas you Mm. run experiments that you can reverse uh, see what works try to find your problem solution fit try to find your product market fit but mostly i think the the biggest change is a cultural change people just don't pursue it i um i see lots of really incredible research here at tu munich and people just it's not on their radar to do uh startups and i think for myself it's um, that mindset shift really only happened in the last year when I kind of understood, Oh, okay. I don't have to bootstrap everything. Mm -hmm. Like my commitment in time and energy is honored, uh, to be enough to have a founder's equity share of a future company. And there are other people who don't have that time and know how, but are willing to bet, bet capital as a stake to. You know, help you proceed, and therefore you find those partners and make good work. And I think that um, the perception of people, how much progress you'll have to have made in order to find your first business angels mm-hmm. or your triple F funds, um, I think it's it's um, it's easier than people realize. And it's it's important that we keep building this. Um, emerging ecosystem here and keep fueling it and keep, keep the spirit alive and inspire people to spin out their research. And also, I mean, I have to say this now that I, now that we're at it, um, we have to make sure that the universities and also the Fraunhofer, um, get a standard process for transferring the intellectual property into the spin-off companies i everyone i've talked to has had issues with this throughout germany yeah. and you know including us it's not easy they're really trying to go into the nitty-gritty see how much value you could create and then bag as much as they can but um, i think one of the big um, paradigm shifts for the ecosystem would be if there was a standard deal some of the universities are doing this in this in the states by now you just have your standard deal 3%, uh, virtual equity or something. And then, um, maybe some royalties, maybe not under some conditions, but then the universities would give out so many more contracts for IP, you know, then they basically become, a, an intellectual property kind of in, investor hmm. because they have so many more horses in the race, you know, and then they will eventually participate in the unicorns. And I think right now there's way too much overhead. It takes too long. It makes it unattractive for investors to talk to you because you haven't, you know, your IP situation isn't, isn't complete. Yeah, and then it takes a long time, I'm sure, right, yeah, to get you, it. You, it's, a, it's a strategical disadvantage after the, uh, in the end, yeah.
0: Yeah, that's great. I mean, look, your points were amazing. Um, I think, in particular, with the IP, it's always a bit of a, a specialized area, right? And that uh, people are always worried. And we, we see a lot of the- teams, of course. I mean, if, if you don't have your IP locked and loaded and ready to go, you probably shouldn't even talk to investors because they're going to be they're going they're going to see it as a massive risk, right? Because they don't know it's an uncertainty. How much is the university or the institute going to take? And are they even going to give you a license for this? Because maybe they don't, or maybe it just takes takes three years so yeah that's a that's a very good point and i think i i hope that with this podcast and with our conversation you know this is also really valuable so sharing your insights about the mindset shift but also about some of the technical difficulties when it comes to tech-based startups coming out of the universities and um, we need to make that uh, barrier as low as possible through programs but also through processes that really support those entrepreneurs and handhold them you know and actually give them whatever resources they need with a standardized process potentially that can maybe be adapted slightly for in, in institutions but that's that's really great advice so you're now starting to go in the direction um, which which was feedback from another podcast I got from a friend of mine that often I'm very, I'm very positive, you know, I'm a very positive guy. I like to think towards solution oriented mindsets, but you're hitting on some of the difficulties, of course, with the ecosystem. Right. So I want to touch on that because it's not all gravy. Yeah, it's 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 a hard it's a hard journey as we all know. There's a million things to do. Particularly, I think your transition from the explore program to an incubator. You realize, okay, now I have to go think about equity. Now I have to get my cap table organized. I need my financial plan. So I'm sure you've been working with Martin on that and everything and anything that is not your company in terms of the tech, uh, never mind staff and and growing your team and everything. So there's so much shit to get done. So. Maybe I can ask you, do you have any advice or um, how do you prioritize or, yeah, just if you could talk a little bit about that overwhelming feeling that you can sometimes have as, as an entrepreneur that is now looking for investment and going through that kind of stage.
1: Yeah, I think you have to learn to say no to a lot of opportunities yeah. um, they, because at some point you, you, you are in a in five, seven, eight newsletters from different, uh, institutions. And they always have really interesting sounding titles and you want to attend the talk, you want to have that discussion yeah. and so on. Um, but you really got to be mindful of your time. And I've learned this from other entrepreneurs that are further along who are post series, a stage that I've mm-hmm. talked to. And when I approach them with questions and I'm like, Hey, I would love to have lunch with you and talk to you. They'll be, they'll say, okay, just, give me a list of your questions. I'll see if I can answer them, you know? And then, and then uh, if there are any questions left, maybe we can have a short call, but you gotta learn to become mindful of your own time, especially when you're a leading founder and you are scaling up your team. At one point we had 10 people working for us in the fall. Wow. And I noticed that everybody everybody's reflex is to come talk to you to fix their particular issue in the moment. Mm. But then you end up talking to 10 people twice a day, for about 10 minutes, and then your day is over. And you had really, uh, you had your own tasks on your plate. So you have Mm. to be um, very, very aware of how you spend your time, and uh, what exactly to focus on. And you want to always make sure that whenever you're working on a grant, or working with investors, it is something you have to do in order to work on the product, but the product is what matters most in the mm. end. So it, if you look at the Eisenhower matrix, the product is always in the important, but not urgent, you know, and then you have to, but that's really the sweet spot where you want to be most yeah. at the, a significant portion of your, uh, of your time of day. Mm-hmm. So, uh, I think with the incubator program, we've noticed that we're always interested in learning more um, and more useful tools, making more connections, but you have to um, make sure that you stay on track with your own roadmap that you work on building your product. And there's a lot of opportunity in the startups ecosystem, in the startup ecosystems to do this kind of meta work where you Mm. go to pitch competitions and you go to panels and talks and so on. And everyone, Loves to do that, but it's that's not really getting ahead, that's not real progress, and you have to beware are you making fake progress? Are you doing real progress?
0: That's fantastic, I think, particularly for earlier stage startups that are like, you know coming up with an idea it's like their baptism into the startup ecosystem right they just attend every event because they can right and they have a little bit of luxury to figure things out but when when everything starts to get real and you really need to start pushing forward and you've got 10 people potentially working with you um that's when you need to i suppose as you said to to be mindful of, of where you're putting your time i i find that myself i'm, I'm trying to as much as possible, execute more than just like sitting and thinking and like, you know, taking calls all the time. Calls can can really kill up your day. I mean, they can really just zap your day. And then, you know, the real work happens normally outside of calls. Uh, that's my feeling, uh, or, or those 10 minute conversations that you mentioned. Um, and just to build on your point about, about uh, sending people messages, it's uh, it's the same for me. If someone sends me, a, like the one thing I, I really hate on, on LinkedIn, is so someone uh, messaged me, go, hey, Alan, how are you? I'm like, oh, I'm really sorry, but I have like 20 LinkedIn messages to get through. I'm not gonna respond and and like have a chat, but like um, I, I love it when someone says, Alan, I'm doing this and I would love to get your advice on this question, could you help me? And then I'm like, yes, I can answer that question in a, in like two minutes and I can deliver value. But if there has to be like an exploratory phase, um, yeah, it just it makes it less attractive to my attention because I just, I just have maybe 15 minutes a day to look up some messages on linkedin so um i think it's the same experience that you've had with with contacting those founders but um so one of the things
1: that we've we've tried internally that i think is maybe worth trying for others is that when you're working full-time on your startup and try to keep your meetings in the afternoon Um, Uh and we just we just have the the early you know most focused time from you know, eight to twelve is just blocked to do focused work, and you don't. Um, so you so you don't get distracted with meetings, and then the discussion ended up taking longer than intended, and then you yeah. don't get around to the important things.
0: That's really good advice, and probably don't be afraid of uh, fifteen-minute meetings or like twenty-minute meetings. If if it takes that amount of time, don't go until the sixty-minute mark. Right.
1: There's a really good uh, communications guide by Basecamp that I think oh, right, yeah, I've seen it is, actually, um, meetings are a last resort and you should know why you have the meeting. It should be clear to everyone what, what the intention is mm-hmm. and there should be, your goal should be to come to an actionable outcome. Otherwise you mm-hmm. are just, yeah potentially wasting your time then don't call it a meeting then make it make it a workshop or a brainstorming session yeah yeah yeah.
0: a lot of these things can be solved over like slack now if you're using slack or even just a an email right that's a really good advice is that a book or is it a communication resource because they have a book. blog post Ah, oh, sweet rules. great i read their previous book where they talk about like kind of internally how their company is structured it's very interesting i really really enjoyed it yeah a very strong focus on yeah, just getting shit done and, and, you know, also just focusing on keeping their employees happy and delivering and keeping the customers happy, but looking after their employees first, which I, I really love that approach. It's really fantastic. Mm. But thank you for that. That's a couple of nice tips for people. And it's good to shed light on, on the on the fact that, look, this is the hard journey. It's a long journey. So um, um, having that insight now is good for people that are starting. Absolutely. But moving towards something you mentioned earlier, which is about you know, a partnership, whether that's a partnership or a relationship with your co-founder or whether it's a partnership with bringing in investors. And um, there is sometimes a very competitive spirit within the startup ecosystem that you, you hate your competition. You wanna crush the other person. And you know, I'm a very competitive guy and that's how I motivate myself to like you can't see it behind me, but I have like a hundred day TikTok challenge that I do and I have like sticky notes on the board, I mark a little X every day. I wanna get better than this person on YouTube or that person. So that that spirit can be good, but Partnerships and collaboration, I think, are sometimes uh, undervalued within, within entrepreneurship and, and particularly for startups. Maybe you could talk a little bit about what you see as the value for Mango Medical through your partnerships and your collaborations, if you don't mind, um, just sure. to put a positive spin on things.
1: Uh, sure. Um, well, I think that um, in, terms of, in terms of startup competition, there's really most, most startups don't compete with you. Most mm-hmm. people are trying to find value for their own customers. Usually, those don't overlap with yours. Um, so, you know, the, all these products and services can usually coexist. So, um, when you're when someone succeeds in your ecosystem, or when someone succeeds anywhere, you sh- this is one of the mindset things. Don't be jealous of their success. Be happy that there's people thriving and that that the startup model works. That we can quickly build new technology and have it rise. And I think when you're looking at a space like ours in the med tech, um, the vision that we're pursuing, this personalized medicine, making that a standard, that is a vision that's that's too big for one company to solve. There are too many problems, too many spinning wheels in the system that need to change. So you, you have to team up with other companies. Mm. So for example, we are focusing uh, very deliberately on the software part, and we're cooperating with Comovis who have built a sterile 3D printing technology where you can um, really have a super fast turnaround time of just a couple hours for individualized uh, implants or drill guides. And we are, we, we are the other puzzle piece where you, we, we provide the software tools to get to the design, basically. And then, you know, That way, they're taking care of that part, we're taking care of the other part, and then we can see whether we can make this ecosystem of products and services work out for our future customers. That's how you actually will end up creating change, right? Because what our companies are just like, uh, they're a system to help you mitigate risk away from, uh, from the individual people, but then to just organize the people and your resources to makes makes things happen, right?
0: Mm-hmm. Yep, I, I love it. I think I think to build on your point, the one thing that stands out to me is that you really like niche down into what you as a team and you as Mango Medical can best provide in terms of value to the customer. So you avoided the classic mistake of let's build the app and like let's put fifty features that nobody actually wants on the app, or let's let's do end to end from like 3D printing, we'll build our own printer, we'll do the delivery, we'll do the software on the customer end. You just focus on the part of the the chain that makes most sense for you. And I think that's a, that's a very wise step, definitely. Yeah, absolutely.
1: Yeah. Well, you always wanna be building a minimum viable product, not a maximum viable product, right? Yeah. So yeah. Validate what you're building, try to do, try to validate everything always before you build something so you don't waste time.
0: Yeah. Exactly. Cool. Um, so just on that point around partnerships, another question just comes to mind briefly. But, you know, obviously you're in med tech, you're, you're, you're working with surgeons and you're working with, uh, with hospitals potentially as your potential clients. Um, any advice in terms of uh, people starting off like at the customer discovery phase, mm-hmm. how and yeah, how they could. And when they should uh, approach maybe hospitals uh, or whoever it is within medtech that 's a bit of a I know I' sprung this question on you, but just just to get some insights because that's always really intimidating, I think you know
1: it is, and it's super difficult, and I think mm. because it is so unintuitive that 's why we don 't see that much innovation happening in this space you know I think this is one of the the things that is so strange about us we're actually two clinical cl- clinical practitioners. We yeah. turn around because this problem was important to, enough for us, and we see that there's a path to solving it. So that's why we're giving it a shot. You know, mm-hmm. um, I think there is a great program run by a guy called Christoph Hennesberger here in Munich, who is. It's called, I believe, Med Innovate, and it's a class at TU Munich you can take and they connect you with the um, campus and they help you work shadow surgeons and practitioners and physicians and give you that exact foot in the door to do your initial observing of your users and see where you can bring value and otherwise I would say i think it depends on your background what angle you would take to make these kind of connections but most people you'd be surprised are really open if mm. you find um well and also university clinics are made to build new things and innovate so seeking out the you know people looking up who is building in your space that you find interest who, who's making uh, interesting research in your area maybe reach out to them, talk about that a little bit, and then just be be nice, don't don't be too pushy, but do definitely contact the hospitals, try to do work shadowing. Um, It's not impossible and i think it's an absolutely crucial step for medical startups you have to make you have to read the mom test you have to make sure that this problem that the surgeon told you about once at this cocktail party isn't just something he came across twice in his life but that it is actually something that happens every time where you can reliably create value for your customer
0: that's fantastic advice i think uh what I get out of that is really, you know, find someone else that's very curious, but an expert in in that particular field, right? So like, you're curious as an entrepreneur, but mm-hmm. you need to find other curious people, like you said, with the university clinics that are really gonna, um, yeah, they're going to be very open to hearing about some cool new idea or interested in explaining their problems to you, which is kind of the, the very early phase, yeah, just right?
1: Be, yeah, be interested in them. Don't come up with the solutions already. Just, <laughs> you want to understand your problem space. Yeah. So that you that you don't start, you know, building up a fantasy world or yeah. build something that nobody needs.
0: Fantastic. Yeah. I mean, it's one thing that I think is a real strength for your team. So so you and your co-founder are both from from uh, medical backgrounds where you're a dentist and your co-founder is also you're going a, a surgeon. So having that background is really strong because there's nothing worse or nothing more that worries me when someone comes. From a, say a IT or engineer background, they're like no experience with medtech. And we're like we want to build a medtech product. And I'm like, oh, you're like get worried because I'm like, I start getting the shakes because unless they really have like a fantastic board of advisors and they've spoken to like these, you know, the concept of a hundred meaningful conversations during the customer discovery phase. If they haven't done that, it's just it's it's a very specific market with medtech and it's, it's- very intricate. It's too risky
1: to build something if you haven't yeah. done that validation step. Um, yeah. Also, the MedInnovate in Munich is modeled after a program called BioInnovate. that was started by Stanford, and it's also... Yeah, there's one
0: in Galway, I think, as well, in Ireland, I believe.
1: Uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, you're from Dublin, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, uh, yeah, that, um, and the, you can apply. It's also a program, but it's a, a personal program for you. So if you are a really interested engineer who wants to do MedTech startup, uh, you know, they sponsor you to come and work shadow for a year, do your validation, find your co-founders inside the program because they're inviting, they're inviting, uh, clinicians and techies and, and business people. And then you're matching up your team as you go. So there's one, uh, one startup that's, that's uh, been built this way. It was Christ- Christoph Christoph as one projects and they are here and in Dublin and they're post series a with eight figure funding and they're wow. rocking and rolling. So, um, I think this sort of, these programs could be really beneficial if you have the background, if not try to emulate them, try mm-hmm. to reach out to doctors in your, um, in your family, in your network, make sure you get to the actual. Um, yeah, the sit into the situations where the device or your idea, uh, would be used. If you don't have an idea yet, it's there's hundreds and millions of problems in the medical space and companies, uh, not companies, countries spend 10 to 20% of their GDP on this. Yeah. So there's, it's this, there's a great opportunity, uh, in, in every clinic really to find new, um, startup ideas. And, but it does, it is a very special, um, area of focus and there's definitely a lot of easier things you could be doing also <laughs> within the startup ecosystem.
0: Yeah, but you need the challenge to keep motivating yourself as well, right? I'm sure. <laughs> but um yeah, that that approach seems very interesting. Great great uh, program actually I wasn't aware of it in Munich so I'm going to have a little look at it maybe make a little video about it later Um, but the bio innovate approach I also really love it it seems like it's obviously related to somehow the design thinking approach which is starting with customer discovery starting with uh, defining a problem and then building the solution from that rather than coming in and say I have the idea how can I build it and then Plop it onto a particular problem so I think that approach is always very healthy so thanks for sharing that really really great sure. so um, to, to finish up now I would love to ask a very last question it's kind of a funny story so I remember when we had this conversation and and you and Jurgen you, you told us that you're going all in like you're, you're quitting your jobs and you're gonna like dive straight <laughs> in and we were like oh my god maybe just like hold on just like don't do it or, or at least like you know keep keep the balance for a while. Right? I like the idea one foot in order, one foot in chaos. But but you went all in, right? And it, it's worked really well for you and then you're on a, a fantastic trajectory and a really great journey right now and um very happy to see that for you. But could you talk briefly about what was the critical point where both of you just realized, okay, we have to go all in? And any advice for people that are that are considering to leave it all behind for the medtech dream? Uh. <laughs> <laughs> you remember the conversation, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I do. I do. I do. Yeah. You,
1: you guys were sort of excited but also devastated.
0: We're like, um, oh no. Well, I think worried, just worried, not worry devastated.
1: <laughs> <laughs> um I remember that one of the pivotal moments for me personally um and, well, two things. We had this idea for um two to three years and it's been cooking in us we've built prototypes we've done studies on it um and we've always had the dream to pursue it but we noticed okay i graduated you moved on to another hospital that was in a different city we started practicing full-time in different cities we no longer talked a lot about the idea and we noticed okay if we don't sit down and really work on it now then the idea is gonna die by Hmm. neglect you know you have to give it the, the, the time to unfold and really do pursue it. And then we looked up where is the best space where we can go to in Germany to get everything off the ground. And that's how we came across the Munich ecosystem. And that's when we saw, oh, there's also a great medical computer science chair here who does international world-class research on AI and medical imaging. And we really just walked into their front door in Gaiking and said, (laughs) "We want to talk to the professor. We have some ideas that we would like to do," and they were really open to it. They said, "Hey, this is awesome. We'll support you," and that's. It went from there, and then we 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 went and dove into the ecosystem, and started working on it. And I think the pivotal moment for me was that um, we were selected for the industrial innovators prototyping grant. Mm. It was really not meaningful money, you know, it was 1,500 bucks and we ended up not taking it because of a pro rata clause in the contract, but, and it was delayed, but it was a validation for us where it's like, all right, someone's willing to put money in our idea that we just briefly pitched. (laughs) And, you know, that's where I kind of understood okay, there is more to it than just you having a dream. And then we got into the finale of the medical Valley award and I noticed, okay, I have this pitch in three and a half weeks, but I'm working full time. I'm not gonna be well as well prepared. If I keep my full time job, if I can work on the pitch deck from tomorrow, full time, it's going to be sleek and I have a good shot, you know? And at that point it was a mindset shift where I felt, okay, it's a higher risk for me to keep my job. Although I have a financial loss personally in that instance, Mm -hmm. to not invest that time all the way into mango, you know? Yeah. And so that's where the, where the shift happened. We got that grant. And once you have had your first six figure, uh, secured, you know, that's where everything flips um i've had really strange discussions with my family where they're saying no we want to invest take our money you know you can't do that (laughs) Uh... usually you would you would think okay you know how do i even go about asking for friends and family for an investment and that at that point it's you know there's a there's also a snowballing effect in that in that area where Once you have been validated in an institution like that, and then a big investment has been made, then everyone's fear of missing out kicks in and they want to jump on board. Yeah,
0: it's like going from zero to one, right? It's the hardest, like going from stationary to moving, you know? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, no, that's cool. Really, really great story. Really great insights. And it, it sounds a lot more... Logical than what I remember when you first told us we're going to go all in because <laughs> it, it seems like the logic behind it actually is quite good. You got some traction, you had some some movement, and you had some validation of that people are also think externally to you, have assessed you and think that your idea is good. So this is, um, this just makes a lot of sense. So that's really, really yeah, cool.
1: And I think um, what threw you off was we only knew each other then for a couple months. Yeah. And you've you've been coaching us and you've, you've seen us uh, maybe struggle on the MIRO board with some exercises, but we have had, uh, we've we've done research on it before, we've run into the real problem, and there's been work that you guys haven't really seen in the, on the idea that is older than the Explore program at the time. So it's been a long time coming in a, in a sense, and now I'm thinking, okay, I wish I had done it earlier, you know?
0: <laughs> yeah, no, that's right. I mean, we just see the tip of the iceberg, right? You just come into our program and over the course of, thankfully we've been able to get to really know each other, which is great. But yeah, that, that, that takes time because this is not something that you just like pull out of your back pocket like one day before coming to the program, for yeah, sure. And yeah. I,
1: I wouldn't recommend anyone to jump all the way um, yeah. if you don't have any plan yet. If you can afford it, and you really believe in the idea and you work on it really hard and you you know can build an MVP where you can show that something works and you're confident that you can find a business angel in two to three months, maybe it's worth taking the risk if you're young and you don't have a lot of responsibilities, but um, maybe at least keep a half-time job or <laughs> enough for your rent.
0: <laughs> a little bit of stability and maybe some soup, you know? <laughs> yeah look adrian that's that's amazing advice um thank you so much for taking the time it's almost an hour of your time so i really really appreciate it and just to close things up where can people get in touch with you and mango medical what are you looking for right now um yeah those two things just to close it up to make sure that people can connect with you afterwards
1: sure you can always email me at adrian at mangomedical.io you can reach out to me on linkedin Um, and yeah, right now we're actually looking for a full stack developer to join the team. Um, we have it funded for more than two years. So nice. Reach out, um, that's join at mangomedical.io, send us your GitHub and your coding experience, and we'll get in touch with you um yeah thanks so much for having me on ellen it was a pleasure of course
0: always a pleasure to have a conversation with you Adrian. that was amazing i think you, you're going to deliver a lot of value for 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 some early, earlier stage entrepreneurs uh, in the medtech space so thank you really really enjoyed it and um i'll put of course all the links uh, in the description for all these videos and everything are so, or in the show notes so people will be able to find you thanks adrian all the best
1: awesome. bye cheers